So our text this morning comes from Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. And while you're finding that, um, just the author of the sermon has these notes beforehand. It goes as this. If you read the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, you will notice that up until this passage in in Ephesians, Paul has been uh, talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And then after this section in uh, in Chapter 3, he stops talking about what Jesus has done for us and he moves to what we ought to do for him, how we should live. So chapter 3, verse 14 through 21 is a prayer and it's a prayer found right between these two parts. And our text this morning is the link between what God has done and then what we ought to do. You could say the structure of the letter of Ephesians is a great example of this biblical principle. I am accepted which is in chapters uh, 1 through 3, therefore I obey, in chapters 4 through 6. And if chapters 4 through 6 came before chapters 1 through 3, the principle would be, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But that's not right. The Christian does not say, my actions define who I am. The Christian says, who I am defines my actions. I am saved by grace through faith, and therefore I obey. So there's one other important thing as we read this uh, text. Um, This doorway, this prayer, is a prayer prayed by the church of Jesus Christ for God's redeemed people. That means if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, if you do not trust Jesus for your life and your death, and if you are not yet born again, saved by grace through faith, if you don't even know what that means yet, then this prayer in Ephesians 3 actually is not for you. This text is written specifically to God's redeemed people. What you may need to do is stay in the first room. Stay in the first chapters of the book of Ephesians and wrestle with it and understand it and hopefully believe what God has done for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ by his grace. Only then will this morning's sermon actually really make sense to you. On the other hand, it's not a waste of time if you're here. And I do encourage you to listen to the word of God this morning and see for yourself how transformational it is to be called a believer, a child of his. Ephesians 3, the prayer of uh, starting at verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Just a note, um, the sermon was written and refers back to scripture a lot, so you may want to keep your Bible open, uh, but it does refer back to the ESV, and I didn't have time to change that. So, you'll have to do a little thinking as we go along. Fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Have you ever done a renovation, a renovation of a home? Maybe you've uh, had to remodel it. Maybe you bought an old house that, as they say, was a complete fixer-upper, and you had to do a complete transformational overhaul of it. Have you ever had to do that or been part of that in your family and watch your mom and your dad do that? It's actually a really fun process. And, of course, it has its challenges. But the beautiful thing about it, but of course, especially when you have an old home and you bring it new, that concept of transformation, of taking something old that was old and wrecked and, and uh, broken down, and it's made renewed. The, uh, there's a, this sermon starts with a story that the author and I know of someone. So the story has to, goes like this. Um, There's a family who did a renovation of their home. They lived in an old home for many, many, many years. And as you know, when you live in a home for many years, you develop habits and you develop uh, pathways and roots that you do. And it just becomes second nature. And that person uh, decided to do a renovation of his home. And uh, he he did more than just like painting. So he had to move walls. And uh, apparently the story goes that uh, like most of us, we get up in the middle of the night, um, usually to do things, maybe go to the fridge. Um, and this fella moved some walls that there was once a doorway there on the way to the kitchen, and the doorways changed. And after all these years of doing it the same way, wouldn't you know it, in the middle of the night, walking to do what he had to do, bang, hitting the wall. Not just once, this happened numerous times. In other words, the pattern was so ingrained in a person that even though there was a new doorway, even though there was a better way, there was a a renovation that didn't just come so quickly. Friends in Christ, you sometimes feel like you're banging your head against a wall. Do you feel worn out, frustrated at times? The Apostle Paul understood this. He understood that when it comes to our spiritual lives, we can't live lives flourishing in faith and obedience unless we grasp this one thing, that despite our sin, despite our brokenness, we are deeply loved by God. To do that, God offers us this prayer in Ephesians 3. You could say that this prayer is like a doorway between two rooms. In one room, you learn how God has accepted you and made you right. And in the next room, you learn how to live an obedient life of Christian gratitude. The only way to go from the first room to the second room is through this door. We cannot move from what God does for us, his church, to how what we, his church, ought to do for him, except by going through the doorway of this prayer in Ephesians 3. This is a prayer asking God to give us the power in our inner person to really grasp the love of God for us. So this morning we're going to walk through this prayer. A prayer that shouts out loud and clear, God loves you. That's our theme. God loves us. So this morning we're going to see that in two sections to help us better understand. First is the prayer for the power in the inner person. We see that in verses 14 to 17a. The prayer for the power in the inner person. And the second is, of course, the same prayer for the power to grasp the love of God. So let's walk through this prayer and let's apply it to our own lives. First, the power in the inner person. 
Verse 14 to 17a says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul uses two parallel phrases here to explain the same thing. He prays that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being, which is the same as saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The two are parallel phrases. They say the same thing. Inner being and your heart are the same thing in this text. The Bible says that the inner man... um, is actually your heart. It's a concept that includes more than just, uh, obviously, an object. It's your personality, it's your thoughts, it's your emotions, our character, our moral being. The inner man or the heart is the core of who you and I are. Of course, we know from God's word that Christians already, by definition, have Christ in their hearts by the Spirit. But God is not talking about the initial indwelling of the Spirit of Christ that every Christian has. We know this because the word he uses here in the Greek for dwell in your heart is much stronger than the Bible uses in other texts like John 14 where Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit and says that the Holy Spirit lives with you or sojourns with you. This word dwell has the connotation of settling down, of building a home, of taking up residence and settling in. As Christians, we have the spirit of Christ by faith residing in our hearts, in our inner being. And now Paul prays that the Lord would settle in our hearts, that the Lord would make our hearts his home, that he would strengthen that inner core, that he would renovate our hearts so that they reflect his own character. Think of this when you purchase uh, a used home. You buy the house, it's yours, and you live in it, but maybe it doesn't look yet like your home. There's some renovations to do. The gross old wallpaper needs to come off. Maybe there's some painting that needs to be done. Things got to be cleaned. Plumbing's got to be fixed. Maybe once you get into it, you realize it's all full of plaster and lath, and you got to change it over to drywall. Then you see the old knob and tube, and you got to rip that out put the new electrical in, and maybe you just want to adjust some things, change the cosmetics of it, but when you finished all that and you even hang your pictures of your family, then what happens? Usually, at some stage along the line, you invite your family over or some friends over. And often the response is, wow, this place really looks like yours. What a transformation, and it really reflects you. Amazing. Well, that is what Paul is praying for here in your and my lives. When the Lord saves us from our sins, he moves into our heart and we are legally his. We are legally his property. The sign on the front lawn, you might say, of our Christian heart says, purchased, justified, bought by the blood of Jesus. But there are things to repair. There are renovations to do. God saves broken down, dilapidated, condemned sinners, but he doesn't leave them that way. He works in our inner person to renovate our hearts, to make them look more like his heart. 
God the Holy Spirit comes and starts an extreme heart makeover. So this is a prayer for a deep heart-level spiritual renovation so that our inner person would reflect the character of God. So how does God do this? Look in verse 16. It says, According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might. The translation uh, the writer of the sermon uses uh, says, to be strengthened with power. This is a prayer asking God to dip into the storehouse of his rich bounty and renovate our inner being, the core of who we are, with power to rebuild our heart so that it looks more closely and resembles who we already are as his children. Do you pray like this? It's a powerful thing to pray. Do you and I need that? Lord Jesus, come with spiritual power and strengthen me. Come, dwell in my heart. Have you ever prayed like this? We need to. In order to move from I am accepted by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to therefore I obey the Lord and live according to his commands, we must pass through the doorway of this prayer for the power of God in our heart, the inner man. Without this prayer, trying to live the Christian life is like trying to get from one room to the other without using the door. And we just bang up against the wall. It's just painful and it doesn't work and it makes you feel tired. I wonder if that is sometimes how you feel in your relationship with God. You feeling tired this morning? Like a stagnated renovation, dusty and unfinished, nothing really happening spiritually, no real change, no real hope that things will improve. Do you feel like that sometimes? Is it maybe because you and I aren't using the door? We need ongoing Holy Spirit power in our heart, brothers and sisters. And the central way the Spirit works in your heart and mine is in conjunction with the Word of God. In Ephesians 6, 17, Paul says that the Spirit and the Word of God work together. And here in chapter 3, 16, it says God dwells in us through faith. We are strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit who uses the Word of God which we believe. That's why things like sermons and sacraments and Bible studies, they're exciting because they, they're the means by which Spirit strength, strengthens us in our inner being, in community. Because without this work, Spirit working via that Word of God, we will stagnate. We'll be like a renovation project that ran out of money and is just left half unfinished. So congregation here in Own Sound, enter by the doorway of this prayer. Pray with faith that the power of God will strengthen you in the center of who you are in him. May God make our hearts not only a house he owns, but a home that he dwells in. May God make our hearts not only a house that he owns, but a home he dwells in. So let's look at the next part of the prayer, the power to grasp the love of God. 
verses 17 to 19 read, that God may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When God empowers us in our inner person, when he dwells in us and renovates our hearts, we are rooted and grounded in love. Paul uses a horticultural and architectural image here to explain what, that when God lives in our hearts and transforms them, then we have the stability, we have the confidence we need to know from which to grow and build. Rooted and established in love, or rooted and grounded in love. Christians are not just people who love others. A Christian is someone who is loved. Our lives are rooted and built upon the fact that we are loved by Christ. The foundational principle of our lives, the ground in which the roots of our inner person descend, is the love of God for us. Colossians 2 says, Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Think of that big tree in your front yard. The only reason it doesn't fall down is because it has roots holding it fast in the ground. And look around at this building. Why is it standing? Why doesn't it just get tossed to and fro in the winter storms? It's because it's built on a solid foundation. And the same goes for you and I, Christians, for the church. The only way we don't fall down in life is if our roots go down deep into the love of God for us. Tapped in. And so here we get the central focus of Paul's prayer, a prayer for power so that we can grasp God's love for us. Now I'm going to repeat myself here because this is extremely important. If you're going to forget everything that was said this morning, try to remember this one thing. This is not a prayer that we would love God more. Brothers and sisters, this is not a prayer that we would love God more. It's not that prayer. This is a prayer that we would know how much God loves us. A fundamental problem in your life and in my life is not that we don't love God enough. One of our fundamental problems is that we don't really fully grasp how much God loves us. If we really truly understand how much God loves us, then loving him back in obedience just becomes a natural result. That is why Paul put this prayer right where he put it in the letter. The key to living in obedience is to focus less on our actions and to focus more on God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that just rearrange how we think? Oftentimes, myself included, when we Christians do something wrong, we think to ourselves, why did I do that? 
Why am I so weak? I need to love God more. I need to become more spiritually mature. Maybe I need to be like those other people in church who just get all this stuff. Tomorrow I'm going to do better. Tomorrow I'll start loving God more. And then we even pray, Lord, help me to do better. Now there's nothing wrong with resolutions to do what is right. And we're all for working hard on doing the right thing. But the problem often with this type of thinking is that it tends to be self-centered. It tends to focus only on your behavior and your will to change, your gumption. But this prayer of Paul doesn't focus on our behavior. It focuses on the heart, the inner person. It recognizes that the key to spiritual maturity And the key to living obediently is not in the first place to try harder or to love God more. It's not a prayer that says, Lord, help me do better. It's a prayer that says, Lord, give me the power to more fully grasp your love for me. The natural result of which will be that I will just love and serve you more. That is what Paul is praying for when he says that you may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He wants to get into our minds and hearts and get it wrapped around the love of God for us. His prayer is that we might have a full-bodied, multi-dimensional understanding and experience of God's love. This is not just an intellectual understanding. It's also emotional. It's something that's experienced This is a love that you can know with your head but also feel with your heart. Essentially taste it with your life. That is what we need. We need to grasp God's love for us in this big, multi-dimensional way. Verse 19 says, And to know this love of God that surpasses knowledge. Paul is emphasizing the incredibly bewildering richness of the love of God for us. Jesus says, as my Father loves me, so I also love you. As my Father, God, loves Jesus, that's how he loves you and I. How are we even supposed to begin to understand that depth of that love? It's an unfathomable love. A love that surpasses knowledge, surpasses all understanding. It's off the Richter scale. God loves you literally more than you and I can imagine. And this prayer is that we would keep growing in our appreciation of that love for us. That we will be continually surprised and always enthralled by the love of God. That this love would be an ever-growing, never-ending source of wonder for us. In the Chronicles of Narnia, author C.S. Lewis presents Jesus as a lion named Aslan, for those of you, of course, who've read it. In the chapter 10 of Prince Caspian, Lucy says, Aslan, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? No, I am not. But every year you grow 
you will find me bigger. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Paul's prayer is that every year, every month, every week, and every day, we would find the love of God for us bigger, always bigger, always more amazing, a love that surpasses knowledge. What a prayer. Verse 19 says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can you think of a bolder prayer than that? Asking to be filled with all the fullness of God. In Ephesians 1 verse 23, Paul has already told us that we share in the fullness of God. We already have the fullness of his blessings in Christ. But just like Christ already owns and dwells in our hearts and yet still has renovations to do, so we already have the full blessings of God, but they're still to be realized in our everyday life. So this is a prayer for spiritual maturity. This is a prayer that we might fully grasp in our inner person what we already are in the eyes of God. Now, unfortunately, many of us Christians walk around with a spiritual identity crisis. We are Christians. We're part of the church. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But often we are not filled with the fullness of God. We have not fully grasped in our inner person what and who we are in the eyes of God. So I ask you this morning, do you self-identify as a sinner? Is that your identity as a Christian, that you are a sinner? If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then as Ezekiel says, God has removed your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. The old man has been buried with Christ and the new man has been resurrected with Jesus. Your old nature has been drowned in the waters of baptism and your new nature is raised up with Christ. Scripture says your filthy clothes have been removed and you are dressed in clean robes of righteousness. My brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, your identity, whose you are, the core of who you are is not that you are a sinner. You and I have been freed from sin. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God, the Holy Spirit, God himself dwells in our hearts. And oh yeah, you and I still sin. Yes, we still have problems, but our identity is tied to Christ. We are united with him. Yes, sin still clings to us, but we've been made a new creation. The power of the Spirit resides in us. We are sinful. We are broken, yes. But we are ransomed, paid with a price, redeemed, Jesus didn't hang on the cross to suffer hell so you and I could walk around self-identifying as sinners. He suffered and died and rose again so you can identify as a Christian, 
someone who is in Christ. Part of Christian maturity is that we need to see ourselves as God sees us in Jesus Christ. You could say it like this. When Jesus hung on the cross, God the Father looked down and he saw you and I and he poured out his wrath on Christ for our sin. So that today, right now, when God the Father looks down at you and me, he sees Jesus. He sees perfection and he has nothing but love for us. Yes, despite ourselves. Psalm 23 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then, of course, we know the words, He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. As a Christian, do you have a sinful heart or a pure heart? Without Christ, I have dirty hands and a sinful heart, and I can't stand in the holy place of God. But by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, my hands and my heart are washed by the blood of the Lamb. In Christ, I have clean hands and a pure heart, and I can stand with confidence in the holy place of God. Brothers and sisters, as children of God, we have pure hearts bought by the blood of Christ. We should shudder at the blasphemous thought that our identity as Christians is tied to our sin. To get from I am accepted to therefore I obey, we don't chastise ourselves as unworthy sinners. We pass through the doorway of this prayer. We have to grasp in our inner person the love of God for us, the fullness of his blessings towards us. We have to grasp who we already are by God's grace. We are the church, the bride, the beloved of God. Go home today and read the glorious words of Lord's Day 23, question answer 60. And weep. Weep tears of joy and gratitude. And here's some application for us. Verse 18 says that we do this with all the saints. The English pastor and theologian John Stott once said, we need the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. Let me say that again. We need the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. This prayer, this is something we do together with all the saints We do that with all of us here and we do that with all of God's people globally and through time. It's a prayer for you and me, yes, but especially for us as the church. Brothers and sisters, life is often difficult and church life can be too. We need to encourage one another to understand the love of God. Make this a priority, brothers and sisters. Remind each other, teach one another to use this doorway Take what you get from scripture and the preaching this morning and share it. Tell someone else about it. Do this with all the saints. Pray this prayer for yourself and pray for others and with others. Pray for this in our congregation.
Let's go beyond just the casual conversations or the prayers of platitudes. Let's remind each other of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Let's remind each other that God will be faithful to our church here because he loves his bride and his steadfast love endures forever. The author of this sermon fittingly shares some words for us elders this morning too. Ephesians 4 says that the role of the elders here in this church is to equip and train you, the saints, to minister to each other so that together you all grow into maturity and the fullness of God. Our role, elders, is to take this glorious prayer of Paul and teach the flock of God to pray it and to live it. Are you and I doing this when we enter people's homes? Are we bringing them the good news of God's love? What else would we want to bring them? It's called good news for a reason. And not just the elders, but we all must encourage each other to understand the love of God, to understand that our identity as Christians is tied to the fact that we are loved by God. Do you believe that? Do you know that he loves you? On the cross, he stretched out his arms and he said, I love you this much. Do you really grasp in your heart, in your inner being, that you are loved by God? If we are not constantly reminded, if we don't pray for this understanding, then we may end up stuck, halted like a dusty, unfinished renovation project in the kingdom of God. The place where despite the awesome reality of being saved, forgiven, united in Christ, we limp through life, focusing on ourselves and our failures, struggling under the pressure to perform, barely aware of the unfathomable riches of God's infinite and glorious love towards us. Are you and I limping through the Christian life? Are you tired of being told how to live better, how you need to do this and you need to do that? Do you feel like a renovation project left unfinished? This prayer of Paul gives you the doorway to stop banging into the wall. It's here that you may be given the power to grasp in your inner person in your heart that God loves you. He sees you and I right now and despite our sin, despite our faults, he loves you. And finally, we'll close with this. I'm going to read some renderings of scripture, encouragement from God's word to remind you of God's love for you. Allow these words to penetrate your mind. Allow them to touch your heart, your inner being, because this is the love of God for his church. This is his love for you and I. I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. In my love, I chose you before the creation of the world to be my adopted children. 
I knit you together in your mother's womb. You were made in my image. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. And I brought you forth on the day you were born. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a mistake. All your days are written in my book. And I lavish the love of the Father on you because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope. Because I love you with an everlasting love, my thoughts toward you are countless as the sands on the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good for you. You are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. I'm able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father and I love you even as my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. And to tell you that I am not counting your sins against you. I sent Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. His death is the ultimate expression of my love for you. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. I am not angry. I'm not distant. I am love. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And nothing will separate you from my love. Amen.